0: And welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. I am Tanner Demling, here with y'all as always, here on a Tuesday. And we've got a lot to get to today. Um, First and foremost, want to address an article, kind of go over it, um, some bits and pieces of it that will be coming out on well, should be out by the time that y'all listen to this. And then the second part of this podcast will be exclusively talking about a question that I got in my uh, Twitter DMs on Saturday. I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to talk about it on the Mailbag pod on Sunday. If you haven't listened to that, you can. We have a mailbag pod every Sunday. I send your questions via Twitter, Instagram, or email uh, contact at lacrossebucket.com. Good plug there for that one. Um, But this question, I didn't want to, I wanted to expand on it a bit. So uh, taking it to the Tuesday show here and we'll talk about it. Um, a little bit. But getting into the article that I wrote that will be coming out on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be out by the time that y'all listen to this. Uh, comes out midnight tonight, so 12 a.m. on December 8th. Um, it pertains to second-year head coaches. And not I'm not ranking these coaches. I'm not saying which coach is better. I'm not saying which team is better or or which situation is better or anything like that. Um, Simply what I am doing here is looking at the kind of analyzing the situation of these coaches heading into their second year. Um, So we had, I think it's seven coaches that were hired. uh, Division one, by the way, I do want to say. Uh, that were hired last coaching cycle, had their first season in 2020. Um, one heck of a year to start coaching. At, start your career as a head coach, uh, by the way, or start uh, a new gig. Uh, got It you know, wasn't much of a first season for a lot of these guys. Um, and so I, I just want to analyze some of – know, all of these coaches and kind of the situations coming into year two. Um, and I'm taking a look at kind of what we should expect this spring from these these programs in year two of this new era. And, um, like, first off, I do want to mention, like, this year is probably, like, last year, I, I would just call that year zero for all of these coaches and year two is essentially like a first year just over again and for a lot of these programs uh with guys coming back it almost is a second it almost is like a do-over um depending on how many seniors you have coming back from last year's team and all of that it almost is like a do-over uh, to an extent uh so let's Let's get into these coaches here, and I'm going alphabetically by the school that they are currently employed at. So, alphabetically by job. So, uh, Andy Whitley at Bellman. Uh, the Knights went two and six last season. The two wins came over Saint Bonaventure and Hampton. I was on site for both. Of those wins, a uh, lot, lot of goals scored in those games, if I remember correctly. Um, you no, know, when when he came into this job, Bellman was, you know, Jim Mitchell had been here for a year. He's obviously the offensive coordinator at Princeton now. Um, Jim Mitchell had been here for a year. He came from Rutgers, comes to Bellarmine, one year, boom, bounces to uh, Princeton. Great coach, by the way, just did not work out here uh, in Warville, uh, Bellarmine, which is like 15 minutes down the road from uh, where I'm currently sitting. Um, Things didn't work out there. Andy Whitley comes in, and he's essentially got to work with a – program that is I mean, there was a time when there was talk of dropping down to Division 2. Obviously, Bellarmine is all Division 1 now. Uh, the basketball team just played Duke the other day. I think it was the D1 debut. Talk about a <laughs> tough debut. Um, and so, you know, this is a program that They've only had, I think, three winning seasons overall. It might be more, but three winning seasons overall. Um, it was in shambles, essentially. Um, they had the two head coaching moves in two years. Uh, their best player was transferring out. It did transfer out. Uh, Riley C., who's now at Loyola, I believe. Uh, the year prior, Johnny Holzman, who's the starting goal, uh, goalie, up at Marquette right now, great, really, really good player, by the way, one of my favorite players in college across. Um, He was at Bellarmine for that first season, outstanding player, outstanding year, uh, and he ships up to Milwaukee. Uh, well, we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, so, Bellarmine, the, 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 it, it, everything's kind of in flux. You have... Guys were thinking about transferring out and all this kind of stuff. So he comes in. He, in year one, I think the biggest thing that he did was consistency. Like, provide some consistency to a roster and to a program that has had little to none over the past three years. Like, little to no consistency at all um, when it comes to coaching staff and things like that. And, obviously, he retained the two uh, coordinators. Uh, Kyle Burnmore has now left. Uh, I can't remember who they hired as the new DC. But, um, for the most part, things have remained kind of steady at Bellarmine. And um, they went 2-6 and six last year. Got those wins over Hampton and St. Bonaventure. Two new, two newer programs to the game. Um, you no, know, this season in 2021, like I don't think, like I think, I definitely think this team is more talented than two wins or three wins. Um, but I'm not really gonna go out on a limb. Like, like I don't think. I think if you say they're moving up the pecking order in the SoCon, even one spot, I, I I'm I, I would I would call you crazy. Um, they definitely have talent on that team. Um, Landon Trout is you know, the most notable player on this team right now. Unbelievable shooter. Um, I would say probably the biggest offensive threat. Uh, they've got two guys coming back on defense, so. I do think this is a Belmont team that's going to be better. Uh, and the situation there coming into year two for Andy Whitley is much, much better than year one. Uh, so, and as I wrote here in, in the article, the foundation has been laid. Now the real building can start so they can start moving back towards uh, where they were in 2016 when they made the SOCON uh, tournament, which was the first postseason. First postseason um, appearance ever in program history. And the program started in 2005. Um, moving on to Cleveland State. Andy German. They went 2-5 and five last year. Uh, the year prior to that, they went 8-7. and seven, Was their best season ever. Andy German was an assistant coach on that team. Um. Obviously, he ascended to the role of head coach when Dylan Sheridan left. And honestly, uh, Dylan Sheridan left the program. uh, And you know, he built that infrastructure, built that framework. Uh, They were moving on the right path. Obviously, going eight and seven, having a winning season in their fourth year. So last year was the fifth year as a program. Uh, Coming into the sixth year as a program, and they and look. They went 2-5. and five. Uh, They beat number 16 Air Force, and they beat Bellerman. Um are two wins there. They lost in overtime by one goal, obviously, to Marquette. And they they lost to Mercer. They unbelievable offense last year uh, by three goals. So this is a, a team that I don't you know the situation. I don't think, like Cleveland State, I don't think they are gonna survive, and I would put Utah in the same boat and Hampton as well. Um, I I think independent play because they're an independent isn't the best situation for any program nowadays. Um, you know, unless you are Johns Hopkins, uh, who is independent forever. Um, You know, Notre Dame football is a good example. Obviously not this year in the ACC, but um, that's a joke and that's a separate conversation. Um, You know, independent play I don't think is good for this program if they really want to grow it. Uh, They really want to compete. But for where they're at, I mean, they've shown a lot of progress in these first uh, five seasons. Four and a half, you could say, um, coming into U six. I believe it's U six. Um, if I'm mistaken on that, please someone correct me. Um, but I believe it's U six that Cleveland State is coming into, and this is a this is a team I mentioned. Uh, Dylan Sheridan made he he put in place that framework. Andy German steps in, and it, it things go very smoothly. Um, I interviewed Andy German on the podcast last January, I believe um about about you know taking over um, at Cleveland State. And um, you know one of the things I'm really talking to him about was how the the transition is very seamless almost to an extent when you were there before and you just ascended to the head coach. And you know, he's a guy that a lot of people vouched for. Um, you can look it up on Twitter. Um, I think it was one of my articles. I think it was an article I wrote. And Bill Tierney replied to it. And was like... It was a, a vouching for Andy German to get the Cleveland State job. It was when they named him the, the interim. And um, you know, and that thing like blew up. Um... There. I think that's the most read article we have on the site. Um although it's top it's top three, top five, maybe top ten, but it, it's it's up there. Um because Bill Tierney shared it on Twitter and and basically it was like, They need to hire Andy German. If they do anything else, they're stupid essentially. Um and so I I think, you know, coming into year two for him is things are on the right direction. They have I think six seniors coming back, including starters on uh, both ends. I want to say, and a lot of young guys that really stepped up last year. So this is a program I think is going to continue to go in that upward trajectory. YouTube two looks to be promising. There, um, I think they could possibly get to that uh, eight and seven type season, depending on how many games they play. Um, eight, eight and seven type season uh, again. Moving on up to Connecticut, where Andrew Baxter is the head coach at Fairfield. Obviously, came over from Yale, where he was the defensive coordinator. Um, came over summer of 2019, as all these guys did. And, um, you know, Fairfield, did a program where, like, I think, and I've talked to a lot of people about this in the past, is, like, they have a lot of potential. Like, did you know... Um, there was a thing, I think LAX Sports Network did something on this. And it was like, Mikey Powell almost went to Fairfield because he liked the beach. I'm like, like, like what if I, that alternate universe where Mikey Powell goes to Fairfield? I just cannot imagine what that looks like, um, where this program is. Maybe nothing happens. Uh, maybe this program is in a much better spot than they are now. Um, but you know they—they've been to the CAA uh, title game. They've been to the CAA semis. Like, like they've done a lot of good things in the past. But when he came in, like they were coming off two losing seasons. Um, Colin Burke had transferred out. Uh, obviously he finished up last year at Utah, and I mean they have some real ballers on this team. And this offense was one of was the best in the CAA. Last season, and I mean, they went averaged over 16 goals a game last year. Um, now, their defense was averaging around the same amount, which is not good, and that's the thing they have to address this year. But I mean, I do think, like, and last year they went 5 and 2, they beat Stony Brook, they beat Merrimack, Quinnipiac, LIU, and Siena, the only two teams they lost to. Georgetown, they got smoked. And then Harvard, who we'll talk about next, um, they lost to them by like three goals. Um, but outside of like those outside of those two losses, I mean they and I I don't think any of the some of the wins were close, but I mean they looked good, especially offensively in a lot of the games last year. I mean, the first game eighteen to sixteen. Um, you no know, uh I you know, I don't know who's coming back for this team. Uh, Dylan Beckwith, obviously a great player. Uh, I think it'll, it'll depend on who comes back, who doesn't for Fairfield. But I certainly like the direction that Andrew Baxter has them going in. Um, the defense was one of the worst in the nation last year, and that's the one thing that they've got to improve on to get better. But, like, overall, I think... You know, just judging off that first season, even just playing non-conference games, to have a, such a turnaround as they did—I mean, he did something right. Like, so in 2019, they lost their first; they went to so five, so seven games in. So, I mean, they were three and three seven games in in 2019 and they were five and two looks me they were three and three three and four um I believe uh coming into 2019 at the same spot when the season was canceled in 2020. 2020 is five and two um and you know those two losses weren't necessarily pretty, but those two wins were or those five wins were um, I mean, you beat in Quinnipiac nineteen to fifteen, LIU by the same score, Merrimack fourteen to eleven, Stony Brook eighteen to sixteen, like I said, and then Siena, twenty-one to twelve. I mean, they were just a scoring machine, and uh, I I really don't think you should expect anything less in 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 twenty twenty one from this team, um, and Andrew Baxter definitely has them going in the right direction there. Uh, he's gotten a hold of that, and they've, recruiting wise, they've gotten some good, some good kids, and they always do, he's gotten a hold, he's he's pushed the right buttons, and, and I think we could be talking about them as a CAA title contender uh, in the near, near future, not this year, but down the line, uh, I think they could possibly make the CAA tournament this year, that's, going to be competitive but they certainly have a chance Jerry Byrne and the Harvard Crimson um no was that Notre Dame for 12 years before coming over ahead of last season to Cambridge and the Crimson went two and two last season they beat UMass they beat Fairfield they lost the Holy Cross in Albany uh by just one goal. So, their two losses were just by one. And for what it's worth, they never got to play a home game, which is unfortunate um, before the season was canceled. They bring in the number five recruiting class. Again, as I've mentioned before, Harvard Harvard has done the least with the most amount of talent from a recruiting standpoint than any other team in the country. Uh, last year, I thought they played very well. Austin Madronic is obviously their headlining player. Coming into twenty twenty one, you know, I don't know who they have coming back. I know they've had a weird fall, a weird fall. And look, it's the Ivy League, so we don't even know if they're gonna play. But if they do play, I would probably tell you to not expect much from Hollywood in terms of moving up the ladder that is the Ivy League. Um, I don't see them so passing Penn or Brown. I see them maybe comp- competing competing with those, two te- with those two teams, not passing them. I'm not exactly sure what Princeton looks like with all their opt-outs. So yeah, they could, in theory, pass Princeton. Yale and Cornell are on another level. And I, I, that's just what it is, and I don't think that we're going to see Harvard pass or climb that ladder um, anytime soon. Now, granted, no, number five recruiting class coming in, uh, if they have a good recruiting class this year, and if these guys work out and everything works out as it. Know, looked like it was going to, or has not looked like it was gonna going to for years. That's a different situation. That's a different conversation. And I think the fact that they, with that they were almost four and zero, I think that speaks for itself to the direction this program's going. You know, they didn't allow any any fifth year guys to come back, which is unfortunate. Um, but like all in all, like. I, I'm I'm a big Jellybone fan. I like what he's doing up there, and you know, the situation it is a little cloudy, I would say, up in Cambridge right now. But you know, like overall, I do like what he's doing, I think that they're going to be uh, as successful as we could expect them to be. Moving to Milwaukee, Andrew Stimmel and Marquette, they went three and. Last season, obviously Stimmel uh, returning to Marquette, he served there as the DC in 2017. Then went to Yale and is now back as the head coach. Um, you know, they went three and four last year, but that could easily have been flipped. They averaged the the average loss was 1.5 goals per game. They were losing by an average of a goal and a half a game. Like that, you combine all the scores, they lost by an average of 1.5 goals. And I I don't know if 2021 we're going to see them jump Providence. I think Wildcat and Providence are those two bottom teams competing for that last spot. In the Big East tournament. Um, granted. If if you no, know, they could. Say everybody's in. Um, and that would be. You know, they would make it. I think the CAA is doing what everyone makes it. Um, the. Big East. We don't know what they're doing yet. Uh, if they do say everyone makes it. That's a different situation. Uh, but. For the, the sake of this discussion. They're doing it as normal. You know, I don't think Wildcat gets in. I think they, I think they can make a, I think it's attainable, a Big East tournament, both. But it's not like it's not a given, obviously, and it's not something I would say is highly likely. This was a young team last year. They're a young-ish team this year with some guys uh, being a year older. They get a lot of guys back, 50-year guys. Um, I, I do think they're going to make some noise. Uh, they were, like, 22nd in scoring defense, and they were in the top 35 or something like that in scoring offense. So there's a team, there's a lot of room for growth. And I think Marquette, and then uh, the next team we we're talk about here, Navy, uh, with Joe Amplo, who was at Marquette, I think those two teams, as well as the last team we're going to talk about here, Stony Brook, I think these these three teams, Marquette, Navy, Stony Brook, have the highest upside of teams with second year coaches coming into twenty twenty one. Now moving on to Navy, uh, Joe Amplo obviously proved proved himself as a builder at Marquette. Now, at Navy, he's got to prove himself as a rebuilder. And the problems, at least on the field, that needed to be addressed were pretty clear heading into last season. And in year one, you know, they went three and two, and I thought he addressed those problems. And I've talked about that on here at length before. So I'm not going to get into what those problems were. Y'all know that. Defense, midfield, depth, production, whatever. They addressed those problems. They went three and two. They beat Furman, IP, Manhattan, and Colgate. Um, they lost to Richmond and Lehigh, who were, by the way, top twenty teams when they faced them. So, and they the they weren't necessarily blowouts by any stretch. So, I think coming into twenty twenty one. Ampro's got this program right where he needs them to be. And like Ryan so the and the only really blemish I see on this roster is in in terms of potential, um, is is on defense, Ryan Kern in Cage. They've gotta replace him. He's a what, three year starter there. Uh, he's been outstanding. Um he's now serving uh, the country in the military, and because obviously, uh, service academy's guys couldn't come back, uh, so he graduated. Uh, they've got a bunch of dudes, number one recruiting class in the country. We'll see how many of those guys make an impact. I think some of them will be able to, um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I do think for this season, a Patriot League tournament, both. Is certainly in the realm of possibilities. Anything beyond just saying Patriot League, tournament, both Navy midshipmen is fantasy land at this moment. At this moment, on December seventh at nine twenty three p.m. two thousand and twenty. Anything beyond the thought of Navy making. The Patriot League tournament is fantasy land. They're not gonna win the thing. They're not going to know NCAA tournament. But the expectation should be Patriot League Tournament both in U two. That needs to be the expectation. And the expectations I think should be much higher than they've been in recent years in terms of a win loss record. But I don't think they're competing with Loyola. I don't think they're competing with Lehigh. And Army-Navy games this week in football, I think Army wins it in lacrosse. Um, Xavier line I think, might be the starting QB for Navy this week. Uh, lacrosse player for Navy as well. Wishing the best of luck. Um, always exciting to watch. Always exciting to watch Army-Navy play. I love that option, football. Um, but... I don't think Navy's beaten Army in lacrosse. Um, we'll see what happens in football and basketball. But lacrosse, I don't think Navy's beaten them. I just don't think they have that much talent. Um, not talent, but I don't think they're at that point yet. Still will be a close game no matter what. It always is. Um, always a fun game. Moving on to Stony Brook. Anthony Gallati—he came over from Towson, obviously. Um, you know, Stony Brook has been—they went five and two last year. They've been one of the better mid-major programs in the country, and uh, I, 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 I think I'm really, really high on this program coming into 2021. I think they are going to be in the America East tournament. Or, excuse me, title game. I think they're the second best team in the America East, right behind Albany. Now, how, you know, will they beat Albany? I think that's a different discussion. Um, I certainly think they are the second most talented team in the America East overall. Um, they've got a lot of guys coming back. Their defense was iffy last season. Um, and you know, the offense was pretty solid. Um, I mentioned they went five and two. Uh, They beat Brown. They beat Rutgers. Remember, Brown upset Virginia uh, in their last game before the season was canceled. Uh, So they beat two good teams there. Uh, Their two losses were pretty bad losses Fairfield and Bryant. Um, You know, both those teams were solid teams. And I just talked about Fairfield. They went. Five and two as well. Um, Bryant was a solid team, also. They always are. Mike Pressler is, is a great coach. Um, but those are two bad losses for Stony Brook. Uh, they allowed, like, they, I don't, I can't remember. Let's look this up here. So I remember they allowed 16 goals against, uh, 18 against Fairfield and 15 against um, Bryant. So. No, defense is you know the death of this team, um, essentially, and that's kind of the one thing they'll have to put together. Uh, Stony Brook, I never thought was that far off, um, and I think that it's kind of weird. So Stony Brook, Navy, Marquette, I would say, and Fairfield, I thought were not that far off from. Where they needed to be, with the head coaches they had, but they just weren't getting it done. Um, I think Navy's probably Navy. I'll say Navy is the most controversial filing of that that 2019 cycle, and um, you know I thought all of those programs maybe I, I think they got the right guy in there, pushed the right buttons, in you won. Got everything set. And, and, and you know this year could, could be a, a pretty good season for uh, all those teams that I mentioned. Um, I think probably the, the one like the one team I'm not really predicting a good season for is Bellerman. And I don't know if that's just because I, I I've seen them more than anybody. Uh, or I've seen them more than any other team. Uh, you know, I've been to all the home games for like the past three, five years. Uh, somewhere in that range. So, I don't know if it's just that, um, or, or, or what, but I, 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 think Bellarmine's probably the team, and they had the most work to be done, um, so probably the one team that I would say, if we're gonna say, okay, who's gonna do best in year two, probably be Bellarmine would be doing the worst, uh, probably would put Stony Brook as doing the best, and then either Navy or Marquette behind them. Um, and then Cleveland said I mentioned they're, in, they're independent, so it's, it, I think it's harder to gauge them on, because we use postseason a lot to gauge how good a program is, have they arrived, have they not arrived. Like we use that a lot. And I just don't see Cleveland State making any kind of postseason push without being in a conference um, just in general. And that's something that programs have had to deal with in the past, and that's why I'm, I'm really not a fan of independence in college lacrosse uh, at all because it, I think it does hurt programs. Um So that's a little uh, long winded answer there, kind of going over some of the, uh, all of the uh, second year head coaches and kind of analyzing the situations that they are in coming into year two, which again, more like a redo of year one. Uh, Now I want to answer a question that I got on Twitter on Sunday, uh, Saturday and pertain to, I'll read you the whole question here. It says, what is the worst, and then in parentheses, one-sided rivalry game in college lacrosse? Um, this, you know, I think there's a lot you could put, there's a lot you could put in this category. Um. not a lot. There's. There is. There's a good amount you could put in this category. Um. There's some D two, D three ones you could put in there. Uh. You know, the war on the shore hasn't been too too. You know, hasn't been too um, even uh, recently. Uh, With Salisbury just dominating. Um, But we're gonna stick here with D one. And, you know, I would probably say the most one-sided, and I think it's a pretty easy answer, is Johns Hopkins and Loyola. So, I did they, they got to play last year, I think. Yeah, okay, they did play last year. Loyola uh, won their third in a row. It's their second time winning three in a row. They won 2013, 14, and 16. Uh, they didn't play in 2015, I don't remember why, really uh, though, uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, they won, uh, Hopkins' last win was 2017, but before this, like, little stretch run here that they've had, this thing was terrible, like, because I know a lot of Hopkins people still don't want to call it a rivalry, but I'm like, come, like, y'all gotta call it that now, um, I mean, from, so they played, I don't, it doesn't, yeah, not every year, but almost every year from 1939 to now. And from 1939 to 1993, Loyola had never beaten Johns Hopkins. And you look back at some of these early games, like 1950, 13-2, 1960, 20 nothing, And even when Loyola won the first, one for the first time, in 1994, and then they won in 98 and 99, and these ga- first games they won, they weren't that, like, they were um, they were close games, I mean, and some of these other ones, like, where Hopkins is winning, it's just domination, I mean, 19, uh, let's see, so, the, the series stalled from 69 to 93, and ninety three Hopkins wins sixteen to eleven. I mean, that's fairly uh, that that's respectable. I would I would call it. Um, but then it goes back to like just some blowouts. Eighteen to five in nineteen ninety five, um, and actually that was the NCA tournament one. Uh, Johns Hopkins won twelve to eleven uh, earlier that year in the regular season game. So Hopkins, Loyola definitely is probably the most one sided ever. It is 48 to 9 all time. 48 to 9. Um, the other one I wanted to mention is Princeton and Rutgers. So Princeton and Rutgers have played. Let's pull it up here. Is this the lacrosse one? Okay. on the, You can go to Wikipedia, just type in college and lacrosse rivalries. I actually wrote an article. On some of the rivalries last year, um, that's the first thing that pops up on Google. But uh, Wikipedia is like the third thing on there. Uh, well, Cross All Stars also has one uh, on the greatest rivalries um, that they did back in like 2012 or something like that. Um, but Wikipedia has all of them, uh, not all of them, but some of the like bigger ones. Um, so Princeton and Rutgers. So <laughs> this one, I'm looking at this one. It reminds me at the Wikipedia page, it reminds me of Alabama and Tennessee, the Wikipedia page for that series. Because it is like... So they've played every... Not every year, but almost every year since 1922. And, like, in the beginning, it's like Princeton, 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 Rutgers, Princeton, Rutgers, Rutgers. And then it just goes, Princeton, like, this this whole... The one, the from 1990 to now, Rutgers has only won, won three times since 1990. Like, this last column is almost entirely black for Rutgers. Uh excuse me, for Princeton. Rutgers dominated the series in the 70s. Uh, from 70 to eight, from 64 really, to 89, uh, they dominated it. But then like you now, Bill Tooney, he walks on in there, boom, they take over. And um all the way like to now they still, I would say, uh dominate the series. Princeton leads the series sixty four to thirty one and there's been three ties. I I don't know, and, and they what do they play for? They play for a cup or something, right? Think of the Maestro Cup. Maestro Cup. That's what it is. Maestro Cup. Another one I do want to mention. And so I think both like the Hobart ones with Cornell and Syracuse. I'm not going to talk about those because (laughs) we all know how one-sided those are. That's the easy answer on here. You can just go look those up. I mean, whole ball. Look, I love. I, I, you know, I love Coach Raymond. I, I love what they've done there. I think they've got a great program, great history. But Syracuse leads this series seventy-eight to twenty-six to two, so it's two ties. Cornell leads the series eighty-seven to forty-seven and four. So, you, you you have double, straight up double... You, Cornell has won 87 times. They have straight up double the amount of wins in the series that Hobart does. And Syracuse, they've won the series 78 times. They have... 50, 60, I mean, that's like five... They have like five times the wins that Hobart does um, in the series. So, I... I, can, I consider those historical rivals. It's obviously not something that, you know, I mean, the, the um, what, a, I can't remember the name of the trophy that they play for, it's Q's. Like, that's a great game and all. And, and like, I, I, you know, it's just always a fun game to watch or whatever. And it's usually is closer than, more times it's closer than it's a blowout. But at at the same time, it's like, man, like, Just gonna get gonna lose again. I mean, they could, I think they could beat them. They 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 uh they gave him a run for their money last year, but other than that, I mean, it's been whatever, it's it's been pretty bad since, especially since the D1, D3 designations was added, and then obviously Hobart moving to D1 uh to maintain uh those rivalries. Um. Another one I want to mention, and they didn't play this year because of the uh, COVID and all that, but um, Lehigh and Lafayette, so they're rivals and everything, football's the big one, Uh, it's the longest standing rivalry in college athletics uh, in terms of games played. Lehigh they've met every year Lehigh and Lafayette obviously right down the street from each other have met every year since 1926. Lehigh leaves the series 69 21 and one. Lehigh has only lost to Lafayette four times in the past 30 years four times in the past thirty years and Lehigh is on a ten game winning streak. Like that's not even that's not even a rivalry guys. Like I get y'all no 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 y'all's towns right next to each other there. You no know, you do it in football, you do it in basketball. But that's that's just sad, man. That's sad. Um and then I do wanna I want to end this podcast on this note here with this question. Please let me know, uh, DM me, email me, whatever. Um, is Denver and Notre Dame a rivalry, like a legit rival? Like, is Notre Dame Denver's legit rival, and vice versa? Like, like do y'all consider that a rivalry? So they first met in 1992. They've played 27 contests since. Notre Dame leads the all time series 16 to 11. Denver won this past year. And Denver has won five of the past seven meetings, including two overtime contests. And Denver Notre Dame are some of the best games every year. Like, you know, you get Notre Dame Ohio State, you know, it's going to be like. 3-5, Three, five, some, some, you no, know, like that. You get Denver, Notre Dame. There's gonna be some fireworks. Um, always, are, always a, an exciting game. Um, but do y'all consider that a legit rivalry series? Denver, Notre Dame. Please let me know. I do. Recency bias. I, I don't know, but I do. Uh, they've played every you for the past ner so tanner so odd games whatever uh seasons I should say um, but I consider them a level rival, uh levels if y'all don't let me know if you do let me know um, you can find us on social media at lacrosse bucket on Twitter Facebook and Instagram my personal Twitter at tanner underscore dimling you can email us contact at lacrossebucket.com. DM us or send uh, your mailbag, mailbag questions to that email address. They are answered every Sunday on the uh, Sunday Mailbag Podcast. Have a great week. We will be back on Thursday. Stay tuned to lacrossebucket.com for all your latest lacrosse news. Peace.